What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the planet today. It is Monday, October 3rd, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. Nick, what is going on? Happy October. It's spooky season. It is spooky season. It is cozy clothes season. And it is Hocus Pocus 2 season as well. So looking forward to all of those great things and everything that this great month has to offer. It is my favorite month. I love October. The air is crisp. <laughs> I get to wear a flannel every day and no one's like, why haven't you washed your clothes in <laughs> three weeks? Like I'm, I'm living right now. <laughs> this is your season. You also love um, the vest too. The cutoff vest. Yeah, yeah. I think a vest with a nice little sweatshirt underneath, it's a good look. It feels good. Yeah. It's all about being cozy and looking good, and fall is like the only time we can do that in the Northeast, so I'm here. <laughs> it's true. It's it's one of the more moderate temperature months. We don't get... It's either brick cold or like really hot. We don't get much in between, so... Yeah, and we are enjoying some nice fall weather, and I hope you, our listeners, enjoy some nice TPT starting now. Today, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. Just a quick reminder to turn on notifications if you haven't already done that, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to the show right now, hit the bell, hit the little notification setting, that way you don't miss an episode. Before we get into today's episode, this one is brought to you by Valo Alta. Valo Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the materials, historic craftsmanship, and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A.co and code TPT. All right, we have two quick hits for you today. And the first one is by Rosie Frost, who writes, Scientists predict the hole in the ozone layer will close in the next 50 years. For Euro News. So scientists are predicting some really great news for the ozone, and ozone protects all life on Earth from harmful UV rays from the sun. It's a substance that's really helpful in the atmosphere. It's also very dangerous if it's to get to the Earth's surface. But in this case, we're talking about the atmosphere. This is good news. If you listened to Friday's episode, we spoke about the Kigali Amendment to the Montreal Protocol and how the Montreal Protocol was successful in restoring the hole in the ozone layer. Chlorofluorocarbons, or CFCs, were found to be harming the Earth's ozone layer around 1980. And in 1987, the Montreal Protocol was signed to ban the substances. They were found in refrigerators, air conditioners, hairspray, and industrial cleaning products before being phased out. This was one of the first ever universally ratified treaties by the United Nations, with all 197 parties signing on to the Montreal Protocol. Imagine today just getting like 
every single country in the world to universally be like, yes, this is bad. This is harming the planet. Let's uh, let's stop doing this. <laughs> let's get rid of it. It was yeah. only it was only what twenty two no nineteen eighty seven. Someone with ma- that's good at math is kicking me right now. Thirty five years ago, I think thirty five. Um, so yes, yeah, so it was only thirty five years ago. It's not like crazy long ago that we're talking about this big sweeping protocol that was signed, and now it just seems like such a, a novel concept. But yeah, new research from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, so NOAA in the U.S., has found that concentrations of harmful chemicals that damage the ozone layer have declined by over 50% compared to what they were before the Montreal Protocol was signed. Concentrations of these chemicals over Antarctica, where a hole appears every year, are also dropping at a lower rate. So the Antarctic ozone hole was larger than usual in 2021, and actually larger than the entire continent of Antarctica itself. NOAA now predicts that the Antarctic ozone layer could eventually recover sometime around 2070. The Antarctic ozone hole usually begins to appear around August to September, before reaching maximum size between mid-September and October. The hole closes up by the end of December. Yeah, so this is great. I mean, you know, we talk about how the Arctic and the Antarctic are currently experiencing warming at a higher rate than the rest of the world. And with something like this, where you have this ozone layer that's supposed to protect the Earth from harmful UV radiation, to have that layer consistently there the entire year instead of having a hole appear for a couple months a year, that's going to be great for keeping heat out and keeping Antarctica, you know, icy and frozen during the entire year like it's supposed to be. Yeah, it's, it's compounding impacts, right? Like you get rid of the, or sorry, you restore the ozone and now you're building up your immunity towards those UV rays. So it's really, really important. And any help we can give to Antarctica right now is 100% needed. So this is, this is great. Yeah, especially when you consider, you know, you mentioned compounding effects. This is another one where it's like the ozone layer gets restored. It's there fully. Then all of a sudden we're getting less UV radiation. So it's a little bit less hot in Antarctica. So there's less sea ice melting. So there's less Mm -hmm. sea level rise. Like all of these things continue to add up. And the short of it is, hey, this is really good news for Antarctica. This is really good news for the oceans. This is just a really good story for the planet. So happy Monday, folks. Hope you're off to a great start to your week. Wow, let's go. That was awesome. You took that to where I wanted to go with it. You went the, <laughs> that's, the next that's mile. That's what we do on this show. We take this where we want <laughs> the people you, to hear it. I set you up, you knock them down. <laughs> All right, let's get into our next and final story from Grist, where Jesse Blazer writes, compared to oil and gas, offshore wind is 125 times better for taxpayers. A new report from the Center for American Progress, a nonpartisan policy research institute, found that per acre revenue from offshore wind is far greater than that from oil and gas. So it's better for taxpayers and it's better for the planet. Michael Freeman, author of the report, said that per acre, quote, Americans are getting significantly more return on investment from offshore wind energy lease sales than they are from oil and gas lease sales. Offshore leases are basically areas of publicly owned waters that the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management for Energy Production rents out. The money made from these leases goes to the U.S. Treasury Department and back into the pocket of taxpayers through public program funding. So basically, the money that's generated here is going to pay for other programs 
so the U.S. Treasury can rely less on our taxpayer dollars to fund those same programs. Exactly. So from 2019 to 2021, the average winning bid from offshore oil and gas lease sales was $47 per acre. For wind lease sales, this number was just over $5,900, which is 125 times higher than that of oil and gas. This number is predicted to get even higher as wind energy continues to develop. It's just a, a wild astronomical number. <laughs> We're talking about the difference between $47 and five thousand nine hundred dollars here. <laughs> like, it doesn't even sound like it's in the same ballpark. Yeah, no, it makes no sense at all. So the return on investment for offshore wind could be a serious revenue generator for the American public, while also reducing energy and fuel costs. It's good for the air we breathe to decrease carbon emissions, which means it's better for public health too. Like, there's absolutely no downside here when you're talking about, hey, should we lease this land uh, for energy development of wind or oil and gas. Yep. Every single box you want to check gets checked off by wind. Yeah. And wind energy also avoids the environmental impacts of gas and oil production. Gas and oil release up to 87 million metric tons of carbon dioxide per acre for energy production in the Gulf of Mexico. That's the carbon equivalent of driving 19 cars for one year per acre. Yeah. So just keep like whatever number you think you have there. All right, 19 cars per acre. How many acres do we think are used for oil and gas production? Like, I don't have the number, but I could tell you it's a lot more than one. Yeah. And I could tell you it's probably a hell of a <laughs> lot more than one. So, you know, it just keeps adding up. The more acres we lease for wind production, the more cars we're effectively taking off the road and cleaning up our air. Yeah. This article points out that the report estimates the social cost of carbon emissions at $16,000 for oil leases and around $2,800 for natural gas leases. For wind energy, the cost is basically zero because of just how clean that energy really is. The main issue with wind power right now is the scale of it compared to the scale of oil and gas. So in 2021, the Biden administration set a goal of producing 30 gigawatts of offshore wind power by 2030, which could power 10 million homes. The Inflation Reduction Act of this year makes it easier for offshore wind leases to be issued. Yeah, so, you know, like like Nick said, it's it's a scale problem right now. We just have way more oil and gas. We have way more capacity for oil and gas generation. It's just what we currently rely on. But there's legislation here, there's legislation internationally to pretty much start to phase us off of these fossil fuel systems. So hopefully, you know, within the next eight years, by 2030, we do have 10 million homes powered by wind energy. Maybe we have more. You know, this is a, a benchmark goal. This is something we're hoping to reach. That doesn't mean if we reach it, we just stop. Right, exactly. And like, we just have the infrastructure right now for oil and gas. Like, that's <laughs> the reason that it that it's just easier to produce. But eventually, we're going to get to a point where we have the capabilities and capacity to produce more wind power. And when we get to that point, it's just going to be... Utopia. Yeah, just a utopia. We're going to be living in, um, oh, where do they go in Star Wars where like they first meet Pad, um, Padme? What's that city called? Naboo. Is it Naboo? I don't know. It's like a, it's just a sick ass city. That's the only way I could describe it. That's what we're going to be living in. All right, we're going to cut back into ourselves here. We did a little fact check. It is Naboo. I don't know why I ever doubted myself. I watch way too much Star Wars to ever doubt myself. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> So anyway, 
Not only does wind have a higher return on investment, but it produces more energy per acre than oil and gas, according to energy analysts. Unfortunately, oil and gas are more cost effective at this time because of the higher startup cost for offshore wind. But with a growing industry, more return on investment, this could and should change in the near future where we will eventually be living on Naboo, which is uh, actually filmed at Lake Como in Italy, if you ever find yourself wanting to go to a palace. Well, I did not know that. That's so cool. Now I have to go rewatch that movie. Um, Phantom Menace I actually love, by the way. I'm just going to throw that out there. I know it gets a lot of flack, but I love it. Revenge of the Sith is my favorite movie. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's let's cut this before we get canceled by original trilogy Star Wars fans. (laughs) Sounds good. That will do it for today's episode of TPT. Nick and I are going to be back on Friday for some quick hits. Yes, so please be sure to share this episode with a friend if you liked it. And if you don't like it, share it with two friends. <laughs> Make sure to follow us on our socials at Planet Today Pod for more TPT in the meantime. For the Planet Today, I'm Nick Janusa. I'm Matt Norton. See you on Friday. Peace.